This episode is brought to you by Athletic Greens. I get asked all the time what I would take if I could only take one supplement. The answer is invariably Athletic Greens. I view it as all-in-one nutritional insurance. I recommended it, in fact, in the four-hour body. This is more than 10 years ago, and I did not get paid to do so. With approximately 75 vitamins, minerals, and whole food sourced ingredients, you'd be very hard-pressed to find a more nutrient-dense and comprehensive formula on the market. It has multivitamins, multimineral greens complex, probiotics and prebiotics for gut health, an immunity formula, digestive enzymes, adaptogens, and much more. I usually take it once or twice a day just to make sure I've covered my bases if I miss anything I'm not aware of. Of course, I focus on nutrient-dense meals to begin with. That's the basis. But Athletic Greens makes it easy to get a lot of nutrition when whole foods aren't readily available. From travel packets, I always have them in my bag when I'm zipping around. Right now, Athletic Greens is giving my audience a special offer on top of their all-in-one formula, which is a free vitamin D supplement and five free travel packs with your first subscription purchase. Many of us are deficient in vitamin D. I found that true for myself, which is usually produced in our bodies from sun exposure. So adding a vitamin D supplement to your daily routine is a great option for additional immune support. Support your immunity, gut health, and energy by visiting athleticgreens.com slash TFS. You'll receive up to a year's supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your subscription. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash TFS, as in Tim Ferriss show. athleticgreens.com slash TFS. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. This is Tim Ferriss. This is The Tim Ferriss Show. This episode is brought to you by HipDial. HipDial is how I do conference calls. Anytime you need more than two people on the phone, you give out a phone number, no PIN required, and you will get a text message when people join. So you don't have to sit around staring at the ceiling, watching paint dry or otherwise. Uh, it's great. So go to hipdial.com forward slash Tim. That will get you a free month. You can play around with it. It is awesome. It is carefree. It removes some of the headache from your life. Give it a shot. This episode is with my friend Chase Jarvis. Chase is a professional photographer and the CEO of creativelive.com, which I'm also an advisor to. He is the youngest person to ever be named a Hasselblad master, Nikon master, and ASMP master. Uh, since opening his own studio, Chase is photographed for Volvo, Nike, Apple, Microsoft, REA, Honda, Subaru, Lady Gaga, Red Bull, the list goes on and on. He is very famous for a hyperkinetic style. He was one of the first people to use octocopters, uh, and he emphasizes lifestyle, sports, and portraiture. really made his name with a lot of very high stakes skiing, uh, alpine photography. Creative Live, his company, is an online learning platform that broadcasts live classes to an international audience. So they have more than 2 million students in 200 countries. If you can imagine sort of PBS on steroids, you have these live classes with masters of all sorts of disciplines, including photography, creativelive.com. You can check it out. I've done a class there as well. You can watch for free. It's high def. They have many different cameras, dollies, etc. And then if you want access to the classes later, you have to pay. That's how it works. 
That's the business model. You could call it a freemium pricing model. And it's pretty rad. So check it out. Uh, the, the company has headquarters in Seattle and San Francisco. I've been on there, like I mentioned. Pulitzer Prize winning uh, photographers have been on there. Top entrepreneurs of all sorts, including people like Reed Hoffman uh, from Greylock, who's considered the oracle of Silicon Valley. And uh, that's it about Creative Live. But the story of Chase, the story of the development of his art, and not only that, but bridging the gap, crossing the chasm from artist to entrepreneur to very fast scaling, a successful startup is a fascinating one, and I hope you enjoy it. Optimal minimal. At this altitude, I can run flat out for a half mile before my hands start shaking. Can I answer your personal question? Now it is seen a perfect time. What if I did the opposite? I'm a cybernetic organism, living tissue over a metal endoskeleton. So, Mr. Jarvis. Yes, sir. <laughs> tables have been turned. They have been. I'll cross my legs like you've crossed yours. Yeah, I'm not sure what to do. This is a new scenario for you people who can't actually see what we're doing. This is an experiment with the Tim Ferriss podcast, also brought to you in moving pictures. Yes. And Normally you don't videotape it, right? I, I normally, meaning the first two episodes, did not videotape it. <laughs> and so I'm trying to sit somewhat like the host from Masterpiece Theater. I feel like that's appropriate, given the professional setting. Why don't you tell us where we are? We are in a studio called Creative Live, mm -hmm. which is a startup uh, based here in San Francisco and in Seattle. Mm -hmm. I'm the co-founder with my good friend Craig Swanson, who's not here. Um, and it is an education platform that connects the world's top experts in creative fields with a global audience all over the world. That's what global means. <laughs> I was always wondering what that meant. So we first met how? I actually I was I trying to think of it today, it. and mm -hmm. I couldn't piece it together. I don't know. Had to be a good number of years ago. But, several. But we've had a lot of adventures together. We have together. had good adventures. Spent sure. a lot of time, uh, OTK, lots of travel, always bumping to each other in airports. Around the world. But uh, what I'd love you to perhaps do first is just give people the Chase overview. What's, what's Chase? Oh. Who is Chase Jarvis? Just a little bit of background, because I can, oh. I can obviously pontificate, but I want to give people an intro. I'll, I'll give you an opportunity to pontificate <laughs> later. Um, no, I was born, and I'm just kidding. I have spent my whole life as an artist. Mm -hmm. um, the career as a photographer is really the only mm -hmm. career I've ever had until um, co-founding Creative Live with Craig uh, about three, three years ago now, three years and change. Um, in a little grimy warehouse in South Seattle. We launched, um, <clears throat> I think it was in April, actually, and to rapid growth and success. And then about a year later, we nailed some venture funding, and we just closed our Series B, and now there's uh, about 100 people that are employed here in, in Creative Live. And so there's this transition from myself as photographer, artist, traveling all over the world, shooting for the top brands, and... There was a, a sort of scratched my own itch because when I, I bailed on medical school and dropped out of a PhD in philosophy to pursue my dream of becoming a photographer, and there was no nowhere to get any damn good education. Uh, there was no. <laughs> I didn't want to go back to school, school, yeah. and then didn't want to. You know that it was a very closed world ten years ago. There's not a lot of access to information, mm -hmm. and I said, man, if I'm ever in a position to change this, this sucks. Yeah. I want to change it. And so by collaborating with my friend Craig some 10 years later, we did exactly that. And so it's working. Shazam. Shazam. So I'm glad you started with the artist bit because <clears throat> I want to delve into that. The, the first few guests we've had have ranged from sort of investors to 
uh, chess uh, for chess competitors. Oh wow! Uh, Josh, people Wade's are going to be so disappointed with so this. So I was third hoping podcast. we could really lower their expectations by having <laughs> you on this time. Good, the homeless guy. He's not doing <laughs> no, But the fact while. that you went from being an artist and getting to that point, I want to delve into a little sure. bit because obviously, getting to the point where you're doing shoots with huge brands and flying octocopters before that was a thing, yeah. and so on and so forth, uh-huh. you don't just jump into that as your first gig. I have to for assume. sure. Uh, but moving from that to really ending up in more of a management position, I want to talk about kind of how that's felt. And Did you just call me a manager? You're a middle manager, really, is when it comes down to it. Okay. You've seen Dilbert, right? Perfect, yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, Pointy haired bosses. Yeah. Uh, I had that, but, that, that, little, that little part in office space. That was me. Uh, but uh, given how professional I want to keep this, I also want you to. <laughs> Uh, I want you to start sort of gestating on a question, sure. which is related to a concept I'm going to borrow. It's from Aisha Tyler, and it's called self-inflicted wounds. So at the end of our talk, I want you to think of some ridiculous story. Could be laughable, catastrophic. Oftentimes, it could be involving alcohol. Um, something where you've just made a complete ass of yourself. Oh, and uh, I know you have a pretty good. I've got a selection long list. to go I just through. went. So, yeah, I got yeah. a whole. whole <laughs> Uh, Memory bank full of that. My RAM is full. So photography. Yes. How did you first get into photography, and how did you get to your first? What was what was your first paying gig? My first paying gig was. Well, let's uh, backtrack. So sure. How did okay. You, how to get into photography? There. I'm going to try and sort of relate the artist mentality to whatever audi- audience is, is watching because I feel like the artist mentality is actually, if we take one step back, it's a creative mentality and I also believe that, that creativity is the new literacy. Yeah. So that creativity, like a lot of the investments you do, highly creative, yeah. your approach to them, what the founders are making of those companies. So whether yeah. you're taking pictures, um, building a business, uh, managing a hedge fund, there's a ton of creativity involved yeah. and so art is sort of but a subset of creativity. Yeah. And I think that is that's a theme that's going to continue. I'm forecasting the future of our, our conversation today. That's a theme that I'm going to continue. You're already time traveling. Yes. I'm, I'm more gonna, of that. <laughs> uh, I'm going to No, I'm going to continue to bring us back to that cuz yeah. I think that's a really important core. Um, my personal experience growing up I was a very creative kid. And yet being an artist as a kid was always like, oh that kid's really creative. And yeah. Where did you grow up? I grew up in Seattle. Okay. And uh, I'm an only child because I was a little bastard. I don't know if <laughs> I can say scared, bastard. Scared him off. <laughs> I did. Oh, come on. I don't know if I can say bastard. I'm coming from Long Island. Okay. I was hoping to drop <laughs> F-bombs when I'm seeing so it's all yours, self-conscious man. here with all these professional cameras. But my my childhood was a very creative childhood. My parents gave me a block of wood. I'd go play in the, in the backyard for hours. I sat at the adult table because there was no... Kids table, and <laughs> the solo kid table. Go <laughs> yes, sit in the corner. Basically, what did your parents do? Um, my dad was a cop, and my mom was uh, an executive assistant at a big biotech company called. Actually, they did Cialis. Oh, yeah, they founded Cialis, that and that was sold so much. Yeah, so she did okay on that one. Um, so I came from a very middle class uh, yeah. background, and there was a you know a good work worth work ethic, but the whole creative artist thing. I felt very creative, but I was also sort of in a jock's body, so I was good at sports, and I could never reconcile those two things Would as a play? kid. Soccer and football. Mm. And Which were you better at? Um, I had opportunities to play either in college or Jackson and both. I, I ended up playing <laughs> uh, soccer at San Diego State, which is a, a top 10 D1 school. Yeah. So it was, a, it was a good way to go to college. But I had a hard time reconciling yeah. the artist and um, 
artist and jock. They didn't go together, yeah. at least in my high school. You sure. had to sort of be one or the other. Think, yeah. And I, I sort of took the, the jock path because it could lead to school. And yeah. um, at least at that time, it was safer. Yeah, sure. And it was really in the sort of the punk skate surf punk scene in Southern California where I moved to go to college that I sort of was able to understand that those two things could coexist yeah. and actually that was a powerful combination. That's interesting. I never really thought yeah. of that. I mean the, soul, the surf culture is so pervasive there. Yeah. And surf, skate and it was sort of a DIY yeah. ethic yeah. hacker mentality. I think that's part of a that was something that I definitely took away from Southern California after going to school down there. And photography was something that I had grown up being on the other side of the camera um, at my college, I was the guy who would get interviewed after the soccer games on mm -hmm. television and whatnot because I was reasonably um, well associated with cameras. You were going to say handsome, up. weren't you? You know, I'm dashing. <laughs> dashing. If you could only smell. I, I, I don't know. Really I good. an airplane. I smell terrible. Smell, it's like smell a, vision. I smell terrible. Uh, but photography was a really low barrier way, and I had grown up around pictures. And I remember a particular picture, the muddy soccer game that made me want to, made me realize, go, oh my God, that's like a moment. It's never going to go away. And now that I have it sort of locked in a picture, maybe I can, I can do that over and over again. But then that reality voice kicked in, this sort of like that, that voice. Part of the reason that Creative Live exists is because we have this, culturally there's this bias against, oh, I don't want my kid to grow up being an artist because he's yeah. going to be homeless or a drug addict or he's going to play music. Well, and starving tell, artist. Yeah, right? I mean, starving that, those whole, two go together. They do. They right. do. Like, like, and I'm not saying in cream. reality, but in mass perception. Yeah, and cult culturally. Yeah. So I, again, sort of, Recoiled from that thought. So the first, so the, your first active photography was then in college. Immediately after college, my grandfather yeah. died on my college, like two days before my college graduation, which was Oof. terrible, yeah. terrible thing. Dropped dead of a heart attack. The silver lining in that was I got his cameras. I was gifted his cameras, and it sort of was this a, a permission to yeah. go explore the world. So I threw him a, in a backpack and. Walk the earth for seven months with my then girlfriend, now wife Kate, who you know. After and, graduating. Yeah, and we just like took literally, <laughs> my grandfather passed away. I, he, I got his cameras. He said, Look, at, let's just go explore yeah. the world. And I want to learn to take pictures because I want to get in touch with this side that I've sort of been repressing. Yeah. And taught myself how to use a camera and came back with a ski bum in Steamboat, Colorado. Started taking pictures there. It was where I first sold pictures. And basically, in Colorado. Started, yeah, taking pictures of what I was passionate about, which is. Hiking, climbing, fly fishing, basically extreme sports, skate, surf, that whole world that I'd grown up in. And it was, I was very passionate about it, so it was easy to make connections in that community. And I had good pictures of fancy people that started being sold for lots of money. So wait, what? Hold on. So, <laughs> so I mean, I find it, I, this is part of the fun for me and the reason I wanted to start the podcast is because we've, we've spent years hanging yes. out, mm -hmm. but... Normally you don't even you hang know this out. I don't know this stuff, right. and I want to dig into it because it's fun. But stuff? if I sit down, I'm like, let me ask you 70 questions for two hours. It's just weird, and it's like a CIA interrogation. But this is a good. Pretext. There was that one time. There was that one time. Sorry, Sorry. about the sodium yes. pentothal. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, but the first, do you remember the first sale? Except for instance, I like, do. I remember when I had my first sort of real business anything in college, teaching this accelerated learning really? seminar. Yeah, 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 and I felt like richer than I'd ever felt in my life because I was making eight dollars an hour in the college library, guest yep. library. So tell me about like your first sale or few sales. How did those come about? The first sale came about because I was able. I grew up skiing and snowboarding. Was very familiar with the subject. I got into some the, the 
with a good crowd, yeah. had photographs of people on next year's equipment because I knew oh. the people, the manufacturers and the reps and all that stuff. And uh, if you have the right pictures of the right people and the right yeah. equipment, then the, the, the manufacturers come knocking for next year's stuff. So a manufacturer saw my work, got in touch and said, hey, we like this picture, this picture, and this picture. I uh, ended up licensing, not selling outright, but licensing yeah. an image for $500 and a pair of skis. Nice. That was my first, That's yeah. a big first sale. And, and when you're, you, I would think I was probably literally making $10 an hour yeah, at that yeah. time. And you're like, wait a minute, I just sold that for 500 bucks after, you know, from going skiing for a couple of days with my buddies. I'd like to replicate that. So what <laughs> yeah. did I do? What worked? What didn't? And then I set on a Tim Ferriss learning experiment on how can I replicate this yeah. and just started doing that over and over and up the ante every time. Yeah. What were you doing for $10 an hour? I was tuning skis. Nice. At the local ski stop, right at the base of the mountain in Steamboat, Colorado. When, when Kate and I got back from Europe, we were totally broke, so uh, we threw everything in a in a uh, car, drove to Colorado, and got we didn't we were just deferring yeah, yeah. education and life a little bit, yeah. and ended up having the time of our lives. Ironically, um, you know very very well, yeah. better than most, about adventure and, and how that propels one's life. So yeah, you oh, you have some. I mean, if if people want to get a taste of what are, what are your favorite videos. Obviously, the stuff with the octocopter did really well, uh, which you can look at. You can look oh, for gosh. on YouTube or anywhere else. But what are what, if people want to get a taste of um, the the, uh, the international good, man of mystery who is Chase Jarvis? I have and, a pretty good YouTube channel. It's just uh, YouTube slash Chase Jarvis, and I think there's a couple hundred videos, and several of them with more than a million views. But mostly, they're adventures all over the world on pretty much every content continent except for uh, Antarctica. Um, a lot of, you know... you got to do something with your life, man. Exotic you locations. Antarctica happen? Oh, I know. My dad, <laughs> he just stuck a stake in the ground and said, I'm going to beat you to Antarctica. So i got to find a way to get there in the next uh, 12 months. Uh, but that, that, there's a lot of adventure, and you can go to my YouTube channel or my website and, and see it. So, I mean, I think that a lot of people listening or watching probably hear this and they go, oh my God, like that's a dream scenario. I got to travel the world, probably had brands or clients pay for most or all of it. And yeah, you get yeah. paid very well on top of it. And you get paid very well on top of it. So how did High you... Helicopters and yachts. So, and it's, it's so, really ridiculous, but it didn't start that way, I promise. So, well, of course not. So a lot of people sort of enter the creative funnel, right? Mm -hmm. I would like to try to be a photographer mm -hmm. or I want to be a photographer or fill in the blank, right? Sure. Painter... Dancer, writer, whatever, writer, and then you have all these. Different You're blocking my shot there with your hand. This is. Oh yeah, no, I'm doing that on purpose because <laughs> I don't want the awesomeness of your face to overwhelm people. And uh, I know what I'm doing. I know you're a professional. It's like <laughs> see if I can get my big Danish head right in the way. So, uh, where was I? I was I was gonna. You're saying that ask a, lot a question of and answer it myself. Oh yes. So the, at the how did you end up? What do you think? What were the milestones or like inflection points or chance encounters sure. that led you to the point where you're flying around in helicopters with top athletes paid by the top brands? Like, I mean, sure. because I can point to a handful of things, right? With a four-hour yep. work week, like 2007 South by Southwest yep. was Boom, one of the big one. one, of the, one Bro of the tipping bloggers points. lounge. You told me about that, right? Like, had, Robert Scoble. Exactly. Like, mm -hmm. there, are, I can identify these points. So, what were some of those points for you? Um, a couple of the key ones, actually, taking the camera that my grandfather passed to me when he died and actually teaching myself the art in a very unencumbered sort of way where there was a lot of freedom, freedom to make mistakes, freedom to learn, and a reliance on yourself. So to mm -hmm. me, that's a great way to learn 
and to learn from others in, a, in a, not dissimilar to Creative Live, how the world's best. Like I would meet up with people all over the world and just connect with them around photography. So the learning phase, there was a lot of opportunity for exploration and making mistakes and there wasn't a lot of um, stakes early on. But as soon as I decided that I wanted to do that, yeah. I threw myself into a lot of stakes. Like trying, I know I want to do this professionally. How can I do it? Move to Steamboat, yeah. meet the right people, and then there is instantly stakes. I know that's a big yeah. thing for you with, right. with increasing the stakes so it, it can accelerate learning. So the camera and have, having a little freedom to explore and play. Yeah. Basically, like get familiar in a way where there's not pressure. Then I put myself in a little bit of a pressure cooker by saying, and I didn't really declare it. Yeah. I said, like I declared it to myself, but not overtly. I said, oh, I'm going to try and try and do this. Being in a community, like putting yeah. yourself at the heart of where that stuff is happening. Right. If you want to do a startup, it's much easier in Silicon Valley than it is in Detroit. Yeah. For yeah. example, so for sure. I did the equivalent of move to that I wanted to shoot skiing and snowboarding, so I went to a hardcore ski town. Yeah, um, that was a big catapult. And then another inflection point was when I was setting my prices, not necessarily for the very first sale or the second sale, yeah. but when I realized that wait a minute, once you are great at your craft, yeah. everything else is vision. Yeah. And the ability to execute. So let's put execute and craft in the same bucket. Yeah. And then it, it, everything else is vision. And I think whether we're talking about how to hack the system from inside a big company yeah. or whether to, how to hack the system from um, an entrepreneurial standpoint or an artist standpoint, the way that I hacked the system was my first hired like day rate or gig yeah. was at several thousand dollars a day. So I sort of... I pushed myself to a level that was incredibly uncomfortable mm -hmm. and required myself to deliver at the highest level right. but, and, and I, I charged accordingly because yeah. I had done the work, done the research and knew what the top guys and gals were getting yeah. and I put myself in that caliber right away. Did they accept it right off the bat or did you have to negotiate it was, for it? I mean, it did you have so some guy who's like, wait a second, kid. Like, I know that so-and-so, the Michael Jordan of <laughs> you know, ski sure. photography is charging X, but all due respect, like this is your first big gig or second big gig. I mean, how did you, or did you just I, I ask had, and you were surprised they said yes? I had a body of work yeah. that I hadn't actually done a lot with commercially. Yeah. So I felt like the quality, and I was doing, I was comparing my work to the work that I saw in the marketplace, honestly, and I was yeah. getting like peer reviews and whatnot, yeah. and I knew that I had talent, yeah. but it really came to the boldness of where do I want to put myself in the marketplace? Yeah. I'd rather have my first sale be here and yeah. not have anything Set down there. Because the if you're the four hundred dollar dude, oh, yeah. then you have to cl you have to yeah. claw your way. Up and to when and, and that whole idea that when oh wait when we get some more budget we'll call you if you just do it for four hundred bucks. No 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 they don't call the four hundred dollar dude they call the four thousand dollar dude when they have a four thousand dollar budget. Yeah yeah. <laughs> so the first uh, you know and I had to I wasn't bluffing I knew that I could do the work but yeah. I said you know. It's, I think I said it was 2,500 bucks a day, 2,000 or 2,500 bucks a day. And they said, okay, well, it's a six day shoot. So like in my head, I'm shitting myself yeah. and doing the math. And uh, it's more than I made last year. Yeah, and I'm yeah. gonna make it last, you know, next week. And they said, okay, that, that sounds fine. We might need, extra, need to add an extra day. You're like, and let me check my schedule. Yeah, and literally you're like, so there's like, I'm gonna like, okay, I'll get back to you on that. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, go you know, throw up in the bathroom. <laughs> but again, there were some stakes there. There was, I knew that I could do the job. Yeah. Uh, but I also, I, I, I feel like I had an understanding of the marketplace and where, it was an indicator of where I wanted to go as well. Yeah. I knew I wanted to be at a 
top price point and I wanted to do less work but do high-end stuff. And mm -hmm. again, I don't want to pretend that I didn't do a shitload. This is like a 10-year overnight success program yeah, right. here. Like I was working yeah. in the trenches day in and day out, everything I was eating, breathing, sleeping, photography. But when I was able to start to to sort of monetize my craft, mm -hmm. I did so at a very high price point. And little note, if someone ever says yes that quickly, you didn't ask for enough. Of course. So what happens? That's why the good negotiators, even if they want to say yes quickly, mm -hmm. they'll push a little bit yeah. so that you feel better about mm -hmm the deal when it's done. Right? And that's exactly, I did some iteration of that and I yeah. took a day to get back to him. Yeah. <clears throat> and uh, I knew that because she said yes so quickly that the next time if I was dealing with someone who was at a commensurate level of experience across the table for yeah. me, that I, sh I, and if I could do a great job on this job, yeah. that I could ask for more. You're talking about your wife for photography. You just leave Kate out of this. She <laughs> will flip you like a cheese on. Oh, I know yes. you've been you lifting. You may, I can oh, see I you've been working on the biceps. There, Tim Ferriss experiments got you. Uh, Two ostriches a day. That's my that's my quota <laughs> at least. You know I love Kate. That's I why. do. Oh yeah, she's. Uh, I just spoke with amazing she's woman. You're a very lucky guy. Uh, uh, that that I think that, that there's a, a way to extrapolate that to every profession. Yeah. Like, how you're ne negotiating, and we've talked to Ramit sure. about this. Oh, yeah. Ramit is like the, he's the man for yeah. negotiating, right? And he actually came on my podcast, Chase Jarvis Live, uh, and talked a lot about this, but that's sort of prizing yourself. Yeah. And that is a learned it's thing. It's totally learned. That's, totally that's the learned. thing. I think it's such a huge misconception because uh, I, I always see so much resistance to negotiating, it's like, no, 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 you memorize a couple of lines, yep. try them out, mm -hmm. and you're gonna wanna puke in the bathroom, like you said, <laughs> yes. and then you get through it and you're like, okay, I'm kinda smelly now, uh -huh. but uh, that was pretty awesome. God didn't get an extra 50%, got an extra 20%, and it's just role playing and rehearsal. It is, and it, it, is it is practicing and showing up and letting the, you know, be sweaty, but putting yourself, and, I think I don't have to tell you or your listeners that they, they are familiar with your work. Like, put yourself in some low or not too serious stakes yeah. and negotiate against. Yeah, go to the state fair or something. Sure. You know, go to the, uh, the Alameda fair that they have every whatever, you know, a couple of weeks and negotiate for stuff that you don't actually really want all a hell of a lot. And, like, don't be a jerk about it, but right. it's like, you know, buy some low stakes stuff. <laughs> it, it also helps with, I think, some confidence. You, you repeat that thing, you get a little more confidence. And it, in a weird way, it also helped me understand the seriousness of the work, not in that the photography of skiers and snowboarders or skateboarders or surfers was serious, but yeah. in that the people that are on the other end of this transaction, yeah. they are betting their ass on me. Oh, yeah. If that doesn't turn out, they are fired. They're done. Yeah, because, yeah, you know, and it started off small, but then as the budgets got to be, you know, 50,000, 100,000, half million, yeah. some big productions, yeah. the people that are I betting on If it goes sideways, they're done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and you don't, you don't in, in photo and video, you don't really get too many, you, you can't be a dick yeah. because it gets around pretty quickly that you're not yeah. pleasant to work with, and you can't blow it because people are making big bets. Yeah. Well, I would imagine at that, at that level, too, they're probably only a half a dozen to a dozen people they're considering. Yeah, I mean, in it's a that, small community. Oh yeah, super, super tight. So th what are the most consistent mistakes that you see? We can stick with, I think, because you know the photography community sure. so well, mm -hmm. and you've interacted with so many photographers. This can, I'm sure, be ex extrapolated to creatives in general, general, which is pretty much everyone. Right, right. and that's unless the you're point a that I was cyborg, to make. Unless you're like Bishop <laughs> from Aliens, 
you have to be creative in some fashion. Yes. Uh, what are the most common mistakes that you see, or just like the repetitive problems that you see? So there's a handful, and I think it does apply, like you just prefaced, in across every discipline. Um, the being great at your craft is a requirement. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm not. I wouldn't suggest that you stop that you don't try and get work or hustle or do all those other things while you're coming up because that's yeah. a part of the game and that's, you know, Gary Vee is a yeah. big advocate for hustling and so you gotta hustle your whole way but being great at your craft actually matters. Yeah, yeah. And, and having like, the, the camera is like an extension of my arm and yeah. you think about it, I, I've used the pro golf analogy, I don't know why I, I'm not crazy about golf but those guys have to, and women, have to stand up on the tee and hit the ball down the middle because that's what they're paid to do. It doesn't matter if it's raining, sunny, windy, if there's 10 people watching or 10 million, yeah. they're paid to hit the ball down the middle. And yeah. as an artist, you're paid to make. And as an entrepreneur, you're paid to deliver the, the ROI to the shareholders. And as a wrestler, you're paid to win. Or like right. whatever your thing is, yeah. you have to be great at your craft yeah. in order to, I think, achieve. So there's this 10,000 hours, hardcore, the folks that I think are great, whether they're hacking the system and yeah. doing it in 10 hours right. or 10,000, that is, I think, people want to skip that step. Yeah, I get, I get, you know, for every email that I get about the craft of writing, yeah. I get a thousand about how to market books, and I'm just like, hold right. on, the ratio is all wrong. Yep. Uh, so no, I, I would agree with that. And so that gets overlooked. Like, I just want to be this awesome uh, fashion photographer and hang out with like. Awesome, you know, beautiful people in crazy locations, and it's like, dude, you got to be like, actually pick up a camera and get good at that shit first, yeah. and then you might be able to do, you know, part all the, the glamorous. Second, yeah, the second part. So I think that's a common mistake. The second one is that the, I think there's a belief that people who are successful either they can sell themselves really well and they're natural at it. Like, yeah. I was a natural hard worker, yeah. but not a, not a gifted like positioner and seller and that was all learned in the same yeah. way that some of the stuff we talked about earlier was learned the the art of negotiation the art of positioning yourself in the marketplace of telling your story that that is that is not at least it wasn't innate for me yeah and i had to learn that so there's another belief that oh if you have talent then you just actually you just are successful, which yeah. is a total crock total of bullshit. It's yeah. total bullshit. Ryan Holiday talks a lot about this. Uh, you have to like. What is? I mean, I, it's someone else's quote, but it's like there's nothing more common than what is it? The unsuccessful man with talent, or something like that. Yeah, it's just they're, like, they're, they're tired for sure because there's so many of them. That idea of once you make something, that if it's great, it will just be discovered, is yeah. totally fiction. Yeah. The people that I know that are successful, as soon as it's done, the making part, then it's about packaging. And frankly, the narrative, like being a good sure. storyteller, yeah. is mission critical to having yeah. your idea, project, plan, work, vision, company, whatever, spread. Yeah. So being able to tell a good story is another thing that people overlook. So being great at your craft, actually working hard to sell and position, the art of storytelling as a yeah. mechanism to get your, your stuff out there. Those are huge things, both of which either people want to skip or people that where people think that I don't have that gift, therefore I can't do it. Right. Or that guy's a jackass because he's not a real talent. He's actually just as great at selling himself. Yeah. But 
what actually matters is that that person over there is doing the shit that you're not doing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, they yeah. are, they're you know, they have, yeah, they're, they're a New York Times bestselling author. So Tim got up, sat down at his computer, wrote every day yeah. until he had an 8,000 page book and then narrowed it down <laughs> to 400 pages and then sold a million copies. Like the, they just the, stopped that 8,000 page stuff. Oh no, my God. I think killer. I, you had a backpack full of like, <laughs> I was like, is that, are those actual pages that yeah. are in there? Oh or? my God. So the, on those two points, then, sure. what uh, aside from obviously this tool that you've helped create, which is Creative Live, and you guys just uh, particularly in photography and a lot of those areas, you just photo d- design just dominate. Yeah, I mean, killing it in audio right now, and too. it's been fun to watch. You know, as obviously an advisor and yeah. investor with the company, just from the nascent stages to see this thing explode, um, it's been really fun. But aside from that tool, obviously, which sure. exists now. What books, resources helped you become better photography? Sure. And then also helped you get better at positioning, storytelling? Sure, wow. Um, Don't have to be books, but just okay. like tools so, that people might be able to use. Yeah, tools, a little bit of, <laughs> this is going to be a date date myself idea here, but when... This is already a date. I know, it's a mandate, it's a two-hour mandate. Mandate not as in a thing that you have to do, but then two men getting together. Um, at first it was the library. Literally it was books like how to negotiate photography when I, even the idea of licensing an image so yeah. you maintain the intellectual property yeah. instead of selling it. So yeah. there was some early stuff uh, way back in the God, 90s. Yeah. Um, the... As soon as I realized that I was good at the craft and that that was developed primarily through repetition and feedback loops mm-hmm. that I cultivated and, and created on my own, <clears throat> it was learning about sort of the, the business side of it. And it, I think there's a, a weird, you have to know your industry for sure. That's, that's very, very beneficial. But all the big hacks, the leaps, the sort of the leapfrog things that I did in my career came from outside my industry. So instead of learning from other photographers, well, I have a huge respect for the masters that have, you know, paved the way before me, but I took a lot of cues from Andy Warhol and Jean-Michel Basquiat and Robert Rauschenberg, the artists in New York in the 60s, 70s, 50s, 60s, 70s, because they were sort of, again, they were hackers. They were finding out how to hack the system and they were making art about making art and they were you know they were sort of reinventing the game while they were playing it and I was always motivated to try and and apply that to my work and not so literally instead of taking in in the way of taking a picture of a picture like that would be too literal the the meta thing was it was fine but I'm talking about how do you differentiate yourself in the marketplace if if I look across and everyone else is doing this how do you zig when everyone else is zagging right as opposed to trying to get better at zigging yeah yeah. yeah, be different, not better. Right. I mean, again, we've already agreed that you're, you, the work has to be good. You have to yeah. be a good writer before yeah. you sell a million books. That's just yeah. fact. Yeah. At least a decent writer. Yeah. And <clears throat> so the same is true in the way that I approached it. And I learned that basically from those artists in the 50s, 60s, 70s in New York. So I've read all of their, a lot of artist biographies of people who have actually led amazing lives, done amazing things. And what you Warhol, find out. What were the names again? Jean-Michel Basquiat, he took sort of graffiti off the street and brought it into the gallery. Um, Robert Rauschenberg, you know, large-scale guy, um, crazy mixed media. Um, they were just people that were hacking the art scene mm-hmm. in, in that era in New York. And they applied non-traditional techniques to 
getting noticed to making art. To They were zigging when everyone else was zagging, yeah. basically. The way that I zigged when everyone else was zagging in photography was I chronicled my exploits of learning my craft. Uh, and smart. it was right, it was 10 years before it was cool to be transparent, and I yeah. was actually sort of vilified for sharing trade secrets. So I would go out and try something, and it was before YouTube. <laughs> Traitor I was making, to the guild. Yeah, literally. And, it was, and, <laughs> and I was like, well, I, I sort of saw the future that information was going to be free and you yeah. couldn't keep secrets and the art industry in general, photography specifically, was very closed. Yeah. So the way I approached it was like, well, here's how I'm going to be different. I'm going to share everything. Yeah. And in doing so, made a couple of haters, but slowly the, there was a, a rather large audience that would show up to not literally to the shoots, but to the behind the scenes. There's no such thing as behind the scenes videos. How, yeah. Like before YouTube, it was Google video. Yeah. And <clears throat> Yahoo video, or just these terrible, terrible things. But th- I, I had no idea what I was doing. Yeah. I just knew that if more people were looking at my work, yeah. and if I could come across as someone that did good work and had a sort of a passion for life and what it is they're doing, that's a contagious sort of yeah. infectious thing. And that was the generally the life that I was living. So I figured, yeah. oh, well, I'll just point a camera at me. Yeah. And ultimately that, was responsible for a sort of a, a increased trajectory in my career because then you're like, have you heard this guy who's sharing all you know yeah. and a fancy Nike shoots and stupid little local shoots, the full yeah. gamut. And in doing so, you've already referenced a couple of videos on my YouTube channel. Yeah. In doing so, created a large following, and it was in large part that following which helped unlock so many other things yeah. for me. Yeah. Because as you know, we've seen even the last let's call it five years, people are now, like, as artists, we're no longer require permission, we no longer require permission from anyone to share our work at scale. Yeah. You know, we don't have to, there's no more gatekeepers, the gallerist and the magazine and, the, you know, my personal social following and the, the blog that I write yeah. at Chase Jarvis is larger than a lot of the media companies, yeah. outlets that hire me. Right. And so when that sort of transformed, <clears throat> that that became an added value and a key yeah. differentiator. So again, what started off by sharing my experiences ultimately hacked the mm-hmm. system, and that hacking the system gave me a lot of opportunity. Now, to go back to your question, like what books, what tools, yeah. I was literally just sort of analyzing pop culture. Yeah. The, the business books, the, like for our work week was really inspirational. It was a long time ago, because you're about 110 years old now, I right? It was, it was one of your first. Yeah, I've been taking all the <laughs> 275 pills a day. Keeps my skin very supple. Yes, you look great. <laughs> um, but again, taking inspiration and ideas from other genres. So instead of reading like how to be a better photographer, yeah. it was like you know digital new media books. It yeah. was business books from guys like Guy Kawasaki yeah. and Tim Ferriss and um, like literally hacker books and and avant-garde artist books that talked yeah. about not getting attention for the sake of attention, but but how to create transformative art. Yeah. What do you do, like where do you go, what do you think about, what, do you, what kind of permissions do you give yourself? So, yeah, I think that looking outside of the usual suspects and one's own industry is so undervalued and it's massive. so easy. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's incredible how many things I've been able to personally pull from, say, I read a, sort of a biography or business history of Absolute like the brand, everything. And I also read about Sky, and I don't really drink either, but I was so fascinated by how 
in a crowded market, yep. these two mega successes had been produced. Similarly, you know, a single SKU companies really fascinate me. Like, uh, well, they're, they're more than one now, but like Red Bull. How do you license something yeah. from a company in Thailand and turn it into a multi-billion dollar company that now is becoming a, a media production behemoth? It's, so as an example, I was the first photographer within the USA to, to license images to Red Bull. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. Uh, That's cool. There was a couple Austrians that had very thick accents. How, how far they, back was this? This was 90s. Yeah, they, it's not that long ago, yeah, I mean, all things considered. To have a multi-billion dollar brand now, yeah. but it was the 90s, and it was at Squaw Valley, and there was a guy who had this Red Bull outfit and rolled up a jersey, and I happened to have great photographs of him. It was like a qualifier for the, one of the early, early X Games. And <clears throat> these guys approached me and said, we, we see you taking pictures of this guy. <laughs> <laughs> He's my God. And you know, he ended up being... It just that was like pretty Arnold. good. That was very Arnie. Yeah. <laughs> California. Yeah. Um, he literally gave me, gave me his card, and I had great pictures, and so I started licensing stuff. And it was, yeah. this, I was like, there's this brand. And you, it wasn't available anywhere in the U.S. Yeah. Yeah. And so lo and behold, I ended up doing a lot of work for those guys through their cultural stuff with hip hop, and you know, I've shot large swaths of the, the top you know, break dancers in the world for them, some of the best graffiti yeah, artists. I didn't know that. Yeah. I became and obsessed with their BC1 breakdancing oh yeah. competition back in the day. Lords of the Floor was Insane. the first one they did, and yeah. uh, that, that was a, a gathering of a group of breakdancers that'll never be, you know, have, weren't ever together before then and will never be together yeah. since, and, and I've got some pretty amazing photographs. So, but that's an example of no one was actually interested in licensing images to a company that no one had ever heard of. Yeah. But going outside your industry, I'm not just looking for outside magazine and REI. I'm yeah. looking like, wow, here's this like Austrian beverage company that has this crazy history. And then I start to see it in the U.S. And so grabbing sort of those coattails yeah. and grabbing at threads that no one else yeah. was sensing, that was... It was helpful for There sure. were two books that I found. you know found. we just leaned together and did that at the same time? Should we do it I more did. Time? I thought we were going to, like, Lady and the Tramp <laughs> for a moment. Um, that was very romantic. I got a little palpitation, <laughs> but neither of us have shaved. It's Never. too much. Um, so the, the two books that really helped me uh, or continue to help me to think of being different Good and different, mm -hmm. right? Sure, yeah. Like, Let's it's, just take it's, this good it's necessary but not sufficient. Yes. Uh, there are two that are on the older side and one that's relatively new. Uh, the 22 Immutable Laws of Marketing. Yep. Really short read. Super short. The book's like Super that. Super short right? and just gives fantastic examples of how, say, like Amstel Light becomes mm -hmm. the only light imported beer. Boom. Like, defines a category, owns it. Yep. Right? And uh, the second, uh, Blue Ocean Strategy. Oh, yeah. Really interesting fantastic. book. And then the third, which is a, a little tech centric, but I think there's still a lot to be gained from it, is uh, Business Model Generation. Don't know that one. It's a list of it's a it's a compilation of different business and revenue models. Just just like, a list. Just like a hundred different profiles of companies with different models. Wow. Whether it's distribution, manufacturing, uh, customer segmentation, and there are two or three pages in that book that are checklists that allow you to go through and identify opportunities that you might not have seen or or even thought of yeah. uh, up to that point because it's like you can take the same product and sell at higher market, right? Uh -huh. You can take the same product, sell at lower market. You can take the same product and distribute it differently, right? Going sure. direct versus through yeah. retail versus distributors, uh -huh. whatever. And uh, those three I've, I've found really, really helpful for brainstorming. 
what are the... Oh, gosh. So let, I want to talk more about books. I haven't really dropped any, yeah. any real books. I know. I, I, it's like I, I freaking know. bleeding a stone here. I know. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm having this weird... Uh, let, let's talk a little bit more current rather than sort of like yeah. way historical. Yeah, like yeah. what 22 Immutable Laws of Marketing is a, like a classic. Yeah. That's way back. I feel heavily influenced by, and we have a similar circle of friends, mm-hmm. books that you have written, books that Gary Vee has written, Ryan Holiday with yep. Trust Me, I'm Lying, How to Understand the Media. Yeah. You know, Gary has been pounding his chest for a long time about all the stuff that he pounds his chest on <laughs> besides the Jets. Uh, but again, I look at those things. Uh, I mean, For those of you who don't know Gary Vee, that's Vaynerchuk. Vaynerchuk. Yes, V-A-Y-N-E-R-C-H-U-K. Uh, his most recent book, Jab, 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 Right Hook. Um, <clears throat> guys like Austin Kleon uh, wrote books yeah. called Steal Like an Artist. And his most recent one that just came out, Share Your Work. Uh, All that, I haven't seen that one. Yeah. Steal Like an Artist is a, is a fast read, yeah. good book. Super small, fast read. And it, it's the, the premise on that book is basically if you steal from one person, that's stealing. If you take, I took your idea, the four-hour bike ride right. or whatever it's not really that original but get, get in if, line yeah it's 100 facebook ads <laughs> I know. i've seen your face the next day to of reckoning facebook is coming ads. i assure you but like drawing something from all of the people who you respect yeah. and appreciate and admire that's called research yeah and picasso's you know great good artists borrow great artists steal there's a million quotes out there and that's it's just a book about inspiration. It gives you some courage to sort of hack the system to um, remix and yeah. reuse and, and everything that's out there has been done. And yeah. it's just how can we sort of undone or redo what's what's already out there, chunk it up yeah. and, into new pieces. So those are some more contemporary ones that, mm-hmm. again, very much outside yeah. photography. I feel like I've nailed my craft and reading books in photography I do that for pleasure. I respect and admire Leibovitz and Maplethorpe and like uh, oh, there's a dozen greats, but my inspiration comes from from outside. So yeah. a lot of artist biographies and, and whatnot too. So what? Uh, How about Charlie's new book? Can we talk about that for a second? Or yeah, I, was, I just hijacked that. You go go back. We to your can. Thing. We'll come back to it. Okay. Uh, I'm curious to know what was. What was your favorite day last week, and why? My favorite day last week, uh, I was in Miami photographing Serena Williams for the upcoming Wilson campaign. I got to shoot Serena, Roger Federer. Um, That's cool. Vika Asarenka. So Serena several. could kick my ass, right? I mean, she looks like she could totally decapitate oh, me. You're just you're like, yeah, you're no done. No chance. Yeah, done. <laughs> um, you know, I, I don't have a bad thing to say about any of those. They're like. Five or ten of the, the the people that I shot of the top twenty yeah. tennis players, not just now but ever in the history yeah. of tennis. Yeah. Federer, just like legendary, the guy speaks five languages, just like looks like a GQ yeah. model. He's like never, Thomas Crown, but never good at been, tennis. Yeah. yeah, never been injured, never opted out of a match before due to injury, and he has three hundred matches more than anyone. Like these these yeah. super athletes, basically. And just get to to get to spend legitimate real real time with these people on the court and uh, and make great pictures of them that they've never had made before. So that was a great day last week. That sounded like a good day. <clears throat> it was a good day. So, but I, I will say yep. that I'm like to change it to, to to creative life for a second. I am more enamored and more fired up on the power of creativity to change the world. Yeah. More, more than ever before, I'm spending a, a huge and complete inordinate amount of time 
learning from <clears throat> the basically the people that are in the startup world. I've learned yeah. a lot from you. Uh, I'm doing some angel investing, but focused very, very specifically on on the creative space. And um, it's just, it's a really interesting, do you know Mark Echo? Echo Clothing, yeah, yeah. so Mark's, yeah, yeah. A, Mark's had, a friend. Had, yeah, well, if he did a guest post on my, on my blog. Oh, also, that's so right. Had, uh, when he he yeah. launched his book, right? Yeah, yeah, he's a good guy. Um, when what, what Mark thinks about startups is something that I have just, I've, I just hopped on his coattails. That these companies aren't, they're called founders, but the companies aren't found. Yeah. They're made, they're right, created, right, 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 right. you know? And so this idea of creatives and artists discovering or unlocking or creating the next sort of product, whatever it is, whether it's the next Facebook, Instagram, um, we could list any number of country, companies. Like that, to me, this vision of creatist, creator, artist, making things and these things being businesses, nonprofits, that's yeah. a beautiful picture of the future, I think. And that's one of the reasons I'm out there advocating for creativity. So my shoot with Serena and Roger Federer and Asarenka is actually very related to having an authentic understanding of what it takes to make and be and do um, build businesses and, and shoot ad campaigns. They're not all that dissimilar. No, I don't. I don't think they are at all. And I, in a way, you know, I think it's it's really exciting to see the, the return of the polymath. Mm-hmm. So you used to, you know, back in the day, you had people like Benjamin Franklin or fill in the blank, who would be like amateur scientists and politicians and <laughs> printers, and they would have these five or six different buckets of activities and they could become world-class at each of them. And then we moved into this period, which was pretty extended, of the hyper-specialist, right? And it's like, all right, no, you're not going to make the radio, you're going to screw this one screw. That's the factory mentality, which is sadly the same mechanism that our education system is based on. Yeah. Yeah. Which, what is a factory good at? It's making a bunch of things that are the same. Yeah, <laughs> right? no, making, exactly. You're good at one thing, you're good at screwing the screw in, and that's what you do, and out pops the radio at the end, and it started with a bunch of raw material, and then you got the radio, but schools shouldn't be like that because people aren't like that, and the right. goal is not to turn out a bunch of people yeah. that people don't learn at the same rate, the same stuff, the stuff. No, no, it's true, and it's like see, it's a bullshit so, so system. The, to be honest. And then you have, well, it's, it's also just a societal norm, right? And yeah. I think they're intertwined, so you have... Uh, let's say, I think it's Isaac Asimov, the science fiction writer, oh, yeah. said specialization is for insects. And like, any man should be able to like captain a ship and gut a pig. And like, <laughs> oh, there's a long list. It's pretty awesome. Uh, but it's, it's great to see with Kickstarter and Indiegogo and YouTube and blogs, uh, much of which is free, right? You can yeah. certainly use WordPress. Right. Uh, I do. Thank yeah. you, Matt. And well, I do like too. Thank you. Thank you, Thank you, Automatic. Yeah, thanks over there. Uh, and it's it's incredible how you can it is now permissible to become the equivalent of what Ben Franklin was. You, I was you can, told I was yeah. told my whole career you have to specialize, specialize, specialize. And yeah. I specialized in pursuing the things that are, are interesting. I talked a lot about action sports, but then you know I I also talked about fashion and I talked about breakdancing and I talked about all kinds of different cultural stuff. Yeah. I've made TV shows, shot commercials done ad campaigns, creative startups, did the first iPhone app that shared images to social networks. And these are, I historically would have been called a dilettante, but to be able to touch all these things and find out that they ultimately inform one another and they made at least my contribution to Creative Live, like possible. Yeah, well I think the, perhaps the, the disconnect it seems is that back in the day, let's just call it 
the 80s. The 80s. <laughs> back in the day, back in the 80s, back when we all had mullets and were happy about it. Uh, the uh, I was more of a rat tail man myself, but Ooh, nice. oh, I was handsome. It was a dashing look. Nice. Uh, braid the, it? Did you braid it? No, no, no. I didn't braid it. I just went ruffian, okay. roughneck. So the uh, I was a townie man, townie. Like, I know. Oh, you got to make it. You got to work with what you got. So the what I was going to say is. I think historically people have thought of specialization as a necessary evil because if you spread yourself too thin and do six different things, each of those requires like four years of internship, however many years of schooling, because the information wasn't freely available. All of these were closed silos, like photography was not too long ago, right? Just a decade ago. And you're able to become very well-known very quickly by being open Mm -hmm. with your knowledge. And I think what's underestimated is how quickly you can actually delve into a subject, and if you have some modicum of intelligence and diligence, you can become, if you have any predisposition towards it, yes. if you choose your sources good, you can become pretty damn good very quickly, right? So if you wanna learn how to run a nonprofit, if it were 30 years ago, where are you gonna go? How are you gonna figure it out? Now, it's like, oh, you can watch, you can do a live Facebook Q&A with uh, Scott Harrison, C- Scott Harrison or, or the CEO Soma. of Donors Choose. Donors or, Choose. Yeah, exactly, and uh, so I, I think that it's it's possible that the dilettante or jack of all trades is uh, rise up in some ways. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's an outdated notion if people take advantage of the tools that are at their disposal. Yeah. And you have been instrumental in unlocking that for a lot of people. I think that is one of my gifts or passions and gifts is to be able to learn quickly. It wasn't necessarily a gift that I was born with, but just threw myself into something and not afraid to make some mistakes. I think those three things help. But like that, you're doing a great job. Nice job, man. Thank you. (laughs) Like literally unlocking it. I appreciate that. It is a sentiment that, again, I am continually sort of bombarded with people asking questions about how to, I end up being more of a career counselor, and I, yeah. I think you probably do too. Happens a lot, yeah. And it's following your passions, and you know you can't always. Steve Jobs said it: you can't connect the dots looking forward. Yeah. You can only connect them looking backwards. And now, again, knowing that my career as an artist, and then developing the the iPhone app, best camera, which allowed me to see scalable technology get millions of users really quickly, and like, yeah. oh my God, it took me five years to build an audience of a million people, and then I did it in five weeks. Yeah. And then you know all of that feeds into Creative Live, and those are very disparate things. Yeah. So, how did you navigate uh, the transition from, for lack of a better term, like solopreneur? Right, mm-hmm. you're a diehard, talented creator who's hustled, made it happen, figured out a niche, making pretty good money, to building out a company and delegating, not getting into all the micro bits yourself, because I think it it seems to me that one of the biggest challenges that people face, and I face, quite frankly, in a lot of ways, is working on the business, not in the business. And obviously, you still have your time to do your creative work, which I think is very unique, because a lot of people are like, ah, you know, I used to be in the trenches, it was fun to code, but now I'm a management guy. Ah, well, that's just the way it goes. But you've managed to actually do both. So how did you navigate that, what decisions did you make, what like epiphanies did you have? I mean, maybe you could just sure, talk about that a bit. Sure, that, I think intention plays a really big role in all of the scenarios you just sort of carved out in yeah. the ad hoc, you were thinking, did this and this and this. I was just waving my hands and Yeah, it was good, fucking you, made, you made some good noises. vomiting on you, yeah. you, you made some good noises, you grunted <laughs> a little bit, it was good, I, I inferred what you are saying. No, the, but intention, like I, I feel like it's a, 
what kind of, like it's a little bit of a fantasy life. What do you want to do? And it doesn't matter what you've heard. This is not possible. You can't be both of this and of this. Or you can't, yeah. you, know, you can't work four hours and get to travel the world and live right. like the new rich. Yeah. In Tim, or Tim Ferriss' parlance. My version of that was I want to be able to make my living making things. Yeah. And then I realized that artists as individuals were not that scalable. Yeah, yeah. Right, yeah, Dr. Dre made more from Beats, yeah. selling his headphone company, than he did from his music. Yeah, sure. In a year, just boom. Yeah. And so, when I was thinking about an artist and making things, I always want to continue to make things. But you start to look at making and creating as not just the thing of pushing the shutter or saying action or directing the commercial or whatever, and making something that maybe is more scalable or following your passion. So. Mm-hmm. Being able to, to, and that was again something I was told was not possible. Yeah, yeah. And so it's really looking to inspiration, to uh, aspiring to to the work that other people have done before you, and thinking, oh my God, I thought it was not possible. Now I see this is possible. Go back to Bo Jackson playing football and baseball. No yeah. one had ever done that before. It's like that's mind blowing. And yeah. why not? These are the best athletes in the world. Of course, they're probably good at m- a lot of things. Yeah. And you talk about the birth or the rebirth of the polymath. Yeah, that was inspirational to me, and it helped me unlock a lot of that stuff. And I did so very intentionally. So, what does a life look like where I get to do this and this and this? Mm-hmm. If you just sort of walk in the woods, yeah, you're you're likely to just bump into some trees. Yeah. If you sort of have a plan, well said. Yeah, <laughs> sort of yeah, sophisticated <laughs> podcast you've got here too. <laughs> Best and brightest. All right. Um, and his third and final guest was Chase Jarvis, and then the podcast was pulled. Go figure. Um, but but a, a life that has some sort of intention, yeah. and without being a, a militant planner, because that's not yeah. my. I, I think I have a nice balance of I, I know where I want to go and set some mm-hmm. goals, and I'm plenty of you know pl- plenty of failure built in there. Yeah. Um, but I think intention is a really overlooked thing. Like you have to decide where you want to go if you want to yeah. get there. So. Now, did you? What? How did that affect what you said no to? Like the before and after. So you decide this is what I want. Oh, wow. What did you start saying no to? What did and, you start? Things that didn't ladder up to the things that I wanted to do. Okay. And there's not always a direct like if I want to, um, if I want to be a rock climbing photographer, then I should say no to climbing trees. Yeah, yeah. Because there's a well, there's still climbing involved, so that might help my climbing skills. To, that's a terrible analogy, but <laughs> you you get like there's a, a connection no, no, no. there, right? Yeah, yeah. And it's not always like oh, I only take rock climbing gigs. Yeah. Or um, you do you remember? Do you remember any gigs or clients that you said no to or fired that were? Oh, kind of milestones. I mean, not necessarily by name, but sure. Like, I, I won't, just I won't name them, but two things. I or maybe three takeaways, and I'll see if I can remember them. Sometimes when I say three things, I can only remember two. <laughs> it's like, all right. Like later, <laughs> can just sub it in later. <laughs> okay, cool. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, one is saying no has a strong effect on the person who's trying to buy something from you, hire something. And, and I absolutely frown on being a dick. Yeah. There's no reason to be a dick. Yeah. Almost ever in the world, there's no reason to be a dick. So yeah. if I'm turning down work, it's like, thank you so much for thinking of me. Um, it's just not in line with the work I'm doing right now, or the budgets aren't quite in line, or my schedule is like whatever. 
Yeah. Know, make a relationship, be cordial. Mm-hmm. But there's this beautiful thing of if you are able to say no, usually for a budgetary reason, yeah. when they get more money, if you've turned them down before, they remember that you were that prize that they couldn't get. Yeah. And when they do have more money, they are more likely to call you back if they liked your work. Yeah. So being able to, to say no, mean it, it's a little bit of a luxury too, so this is not like day one of photography starts saying no to everybody, yeah. like you gotta hustle, but once you sort of are able to be choosy and think on principle, does this, is this gonna move my goals forward? Yeah. Saying no will often make them come back. Um, see, I already forgot thing two and thing wow, three. Wow, we didn't even get to two. <laughs> oh my God. Let, so, me, let me try, let me try. So any particular clients you uh, fired, maybe, that, oh, you, yeah. that you had plenty, to... Oh yeah, plenty, plenty of those. And again, trying to, the ballast. trying to be cordial. And if the scope changes, um, if the... Dear John. Yeah, there's a lot your of... Your role in my life has been made redundant. It Goodbye. is to steal Pareto's law. Yeah. You know, you, you, at the end of every year... Um, and I think this can be said for a lot of customers or client relationships that you, you make 80% of your money from 20% of your clients. So start looking at what did that 20% look like and how can you find more people or more customers or more X yeah. like that. And when someone is a pain in the ass, when they call and they're a pain in the ass or the last job they were a pain in the ass, yeah. you basically fire them not in the middle of that job because yeah, you right. wouldn't want to harm your reputation. You do a kick-ass job, you finish all the way through, and then the next time they call, you are miraculously busy yeah. for ever. Indefinitely. Indefinitely busy, <laughs> and you can control that with the, the well, with price. Like, oh, it's just yeah. my, my prices have got out of hand because there's a high demand. And like, well, what are they? And then you drop, and they're like, oh, God. And then yeah. sometimes they'll say, okay, well, we can... You know, and then if you put a price tag out there that was totally absurd, yeah. then you might be willing to take a couple of gut punches right, to, right. To, to make that. <laughs> but so understanding where your bread is buttered and and what clients are ones that you enjoy working for. Again, mm-hmm. keeping in mind that all of these things should be should ladder up to the big goals that we were talking about earlier. Mm-hmm. What do you want to be, do? Where do you want to go? Or do you want to just walk in the woods? That's two or three. I That's don't want to walk in the woods because, as you said, I just walk into trees. Bump into trees. <laughs> so what are some of your goals currently? Uh, I have huge aspirations. Pers- personal for, or otherwise? I, I mean. I'll, I'll go straight to Creative Live. I have huge aspirations <laughs> to Creative Live. And we've already educated millions of people in every country around the world. And the hope is that by creating free education yeah. that we can make the world a more creative and, and better place. Yeah. It just so happens that there's a great business model behind it, which is a freemium one that anyone in the world can watch for free while the content is being created live and if you want to own a copy. I'm smirking just because I have to cut in because I remember I was so curious at one point and obviously I've I've sort of been along for the ride for a while and uh, there there are a lot of... Launched the 4-Hour Chef on Creative Live. Did, did indeed. And, you know, the I think the quality, just the the background that you have in production uh, and the people you've hired uh, bring a level of professionalism to the production that is broadcast quality yeah. with multiple cameras. I mean, you've got dollies, you've got stuff on lines. I mean, it's... it's. Uh, you were going to record al- this with an iPhone. There's always... I was going to record this with an 8-track, and then I'm glad right. you vetoed me. <laughs> Uh, but I think that there's always a market for quality. Yeah. Like I was just talking to some entrepreneurs today. I'm digressing for a second. I was talking to some uh, entrepreneurs today, and they're like, all right, we're going to compete on price against Company X. And I'm like, if Company X has a lot of money or simply doesn't know how to do math properly yeah. and they want to bleed you, they can compete on price yeah. and they can hurt you for a long time. Like, but there's always a market for highest quality. Yeah. 
huge, always. huge kudos to the yeah. team that produces this podcast for one, but all all the work. This There's episode, been a ton of this podcast. Yes, but yeah. <laughs> Unless I'm going to get a call from you after, it's like you know, boy, that studio just worked out really good. I got another one next week. Uh, we want someone who's nice and smart and dashing, though, so you won't be asked back. Um, that being said, there's a there's a passion for quality here for sure, and a yeah. passion for education. So that I have big goals there. Um, what I was smirking about, if I could just tell. Please a funny keep story. smirking. Keep no, no, telling no, no. a story. I was just, no, no, no. Because I remember when we were first uh, when when creative when you're telling me about Creative Live, and uh, then I heard you telling somebody else, and, and generally you'd be like, it doesn't matter if you're you know a techie in San Francisco or if you're that 12 year old boy in Malaysia. And I heard that a couple times. I'm like, I want to meet this 12 year old in Malaysia. <laughs> he is a go getter. That man is on it. Um, but. Uh, I've no, said a couple it, times in a row recently, <laughs> whether you're in Nebraska or Nairobi, and I don't know where Ooh, that I came like from. The alliteration. Yeah, like How about that. it? Sorry. <laughs> so, uh, but it's true, right? And I think we'll just explain the model briefly because I mean a lot of people have an exposure to it. Sure, we bring world class people in photography, filmmaking, design, um, any sort of the the arts, audio, engineering, music, the maker movement, yeah, crafting, business too. I mean, yeah, yeah entrepreneurship, uh, startup you know, week. Yeah. Sure, guy Kawasaki, Reed Hoffman. Uh, Yourself, there's mm-hmm. you know Lewis Howes, Ramit Sethi. There's yeah. all kinds of really great courses, and we bring those people on and film, like you said, in super high quality HD, usually between four and eight cameras, and broadcast live while we're making this workshop. So instead of a TED talk that's like 15 or 18 minutes, yeah. this is one, two, or three days with that same quality person. So you go yeah. really deep on something, yeah. and if you tune in while it's live, it's completely free. Yeah, anyone can watch it, and. If you do decide that you want to own the thing and watch it over and over obsessively, like people yeah. do with your Tim Ferriss show, yeah. then you have to buy it. Yeah. And so, for the people that don't have the ability to, don't have money, they can get all of the same benefits. If you do have money and you prefer convenience, you just press buy. Yeah. And uh, so, it's a beautiful business model that cultivates creativity, access, community, some of our sort of key values. So, it's working too. It is working. It's working. What is uh, so on the personal side? Yep. Uh, what are some What are some of your goals, priorities, resolutions? Charlie's book. Let's get back to that. Oh yeah, play. Sure. Play. Okay. play. Is it called Play It Away? Play, play your anxiety. Play your anxiety away, away or something. Yeah. Now, I don't necessarily suffer from anxiety. Play it away. Play it away. Uh, of the classic, like I'm gonna like seize up when I get on camera, but yeah. I keep a lot of balls in the air. I've got a brain that's whizzing at three in the morning and um, the idea of taking care of yourself and finding a way to play Charlie's example is the home run derby this is Charlie Hone Charlie Hone H-O-E-H-N oh my this is a refill do you get this on the random show you know I'm gonna have to switch to uh, (laughs) switch to that Ginger and Jack looks pretty good good one how about it huh (laughs) so that's a big Ginger and Jack with no rocks um but the idea of introducing play, because we work very, very hard yeah. at Creative Live and, and as, a, as a creative professional, long hours, yeah. you know, a lot of stuff, a lot of, lot of balls in the air. And you know, we've got investors, there's like your, your ass is on the line, so to speak. And just taking 30 minutes or an hour to try and find some way to play, to be active in a day, yeah. is just incredibly, is incredibly helpful for me. So kudos to Charlie. Wherever you are out there, what have um, you been doing? So what? What's what? Do you, what have you built in? Horseshoes. There's a horseshoe park oh, nice. by my house uh, up in in the Green Lake area of Seattle. 
um, randomly and it's lit so yeah. you can like have a really intense work session and then after work or at midnight you can go through like horseshoes. Me- you go like the, do the meth heads come and congregate and they try to catch the horseshoes or what happened? No, no, no horseshoe but it's a totally <laughs> random thing like I'm not like a big horseshoe guy. Um, See, yeah, I, was, of, I, was, I was thinking that guy looks like he throws a mean horseshoe. I'm <laughs> seeing uh, you know Kelly Starrett good mm-hmm. friend of your good friend of ours yeah. I'll say. He recommended Dave Werner, who is uh, uh, basically an athletic trainer, former uh, Navy SEAL mm-hmm. in Seattle, and I've got terrible shoulders. Yeah. Uh, from I had a couple of blowouts from football and soccer, and so I've had reconstructive surgery, and they've never really quite been the same. Yeah. So, but you know, Kelly, from his knowledge base, and Dave Werner up in Seattle, they have amazing approach to sort of physical therapy, and they're they're badasses. They're like. Yeah mobility experts and so I'm working from the ground up on rebuilding the small muscles in my shoulder instead of just doing the the big stuff and so that I can surf again because surfing is a big passion of mine for a long time and I can't can't really paddle out you got me the swimming you know the swimming video you sent to me the total immersion yeah total immersion but uh, my shoulders have been so bad so I'm being really physically active going to see those guys uh, Dave at least twice a week sometimes three times a week so that I can enable some of these passions of mine, like surfing. Cool. You should get some cissus quadrangularis for your shoulders. Yes. Yes. We can talk about that. Please. Really helpful for knees and shoulders. Isn't that guy who rolled the guy who rolled the boulder up the hill? <laughs> That's Sisyphus. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Bum, bum. That would it's be great. All laughs all the time here can, on the Tim Ferriss podcast. I could have my my line of supplements that are all named after like Greek tragedies. <laughs> That'd be wow. If people didn't think I was pompous already, that would really do it. It's uh, that Princeton in you, my friend. I know. Comes you out. Take the kid out of Princeton, but you wait. Can't take the mullet off the off the Princeton Long Islander. I know. Oh, sorry, <laughs> mixing up my metaphors. Uh, cool, man. You know, I, I mean, at this point, obviously, you've done a lot. We've done a lot too. Today. We have done a lot today. Uh, wow. But uh, I'm gonna uh, won't keep you too much longer. Dude, but I'm happy. I just I always say consider all Speaking of happy. What's that? I wanted to ask you. Speaking of happy. What do you What do you feel have become your top priorities in feeling happy or fulfilled? Like what are the things as you wow. become wiser that you've learned to prize more or prize less? Health. Mm. Yeah. Uh, having a Jim Morrison type career where you explode at 28 in a fiery ball is not cool. Yeah. <laughs> the yeah. Kurt Cobains, you know, we, the, the artists that have, well, we all know that Magic, 28 or 29, whatever yeah. that evil year is, it's taken so many amazing artists from us. But that's not cool. Health and longevity yeah. and, and being able to, to enjoy it is like a f- fundamental, and until it's taken away, you don't actually, until you have a couple of surgeries, you yeah. break yourself a little bit. And that's not to say I'm encouraging people to push themselves athletically, whatever. I don't, I'm not saying don't get hurt, but one's health and being active is incredibly valuable. Yeah. And these are, I feel like an old person saying this next one, which is sleep. I have lived on four to six hours sleep for the last 10 years. Yeah. And I go really hard, and then I will like nosedive for 18 hours. This is why you can only remember one thing on your list of three. (laughs) I know. There you go. (laughs) And I've found a sort of a new passion for sleep. I can't ever, 
not, not never, but I rarely get the eight, nine, ten. Yeah. But if I get seven, eight, it's a complete. I have a completely different experience. So, what have you shifted? I mean, have you? Has it been a, a, simply a matter of scheduling? Like, how are yeah. you making? It's an intention. Decisions? Like, should I go out and have one more cocktail with my buddies? Yeah. Or uh, I'm going to be more fresh if I go to sleep. Eat some yoga, watch Golden Girls, and call it a night. That's right. Boom. <laughs> High five. I'm out. Um, no, but so just prioritizing sleep. Yeah. And definitely. The third one is meditation. Mm. Meditation. Oh yes, been, we haven't yes. talked about this in a while. Uh huh. You were on it for a good bit. You said you fell off the wagon. I was. I fell off on. the wagon, but yeah, you are you are one of of two people that I credit with finally kind of kicking me in the ass to take it, it seriously. It um, has it has really yeah been specifically a TM so mm-hmm. transcendental meditation for those who don't know or trademark yeah uh, <laughs> but uh, it's you know I have my issues with almost every form of meditation, there are pros and cons, we talked sure. about them before, but yeah. uh, tell, me about, so tell me about your meditation practice. And My meditation practice is not perfect and none, none are. Yeah. Uh, I just sit down between 15 and 20 minutes twice a day, sometimes yeah. I only get one time a day, yeah. sometimes those are a little compressed or they don't, you know, shit happens or you're on an airplane and the yeah. captain comes on and pulls you out of it or whatever, like, yeah. but I make a conscious effort to just observe my thoughts and practice TM in the morning and the evening before yeah. dinner. And it has made, it's, it's sort of the analogy that I can you know, most simply put here on, on your show is it's when you're in the zone, say playing sports or playing music, right. and things just seem effortless. Yeah. It's called a flow state. Stephen Kotler's new book, which is a good book, The Rise of Superman, check that out. Yeah. A little plug for his book about creativity and flow states. That sense of flow, it's when things sort of happen in slow motion. Now, you're not literally talking in slow motion, but you have the same clarity as if you're going through life and everything's happening in slow motion. Instead of that, I'm hyper-caffeinated. My boss is... I'm agitated. I'm I'm reactive. Dodging bullets. Yeah. Instead, you're just like, I'm driving the bus here, and we're going to go here, and then I'm going to do this. And there's just certain clarity that... uh, and it's 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 like magic. It's really weird. And it's there's a, another thing. I don't know if you felt this, Tim, but it sort of aggregates. So you get good benefit from one, two, three, four. And then when you're on a good on a roll, there's this sort of exponential. There's a little overdrive yeah. that it's like, oh my gosh, I yeah. feel like I'm just floating. Yeah, I can't explain it either. But mm-hmm. for me, and d- just for those people who might be thinking like I did for my entire life, like. Bullshit. Bullshit. No, just like I don't want people oming me and freaking, you know, all this, yeah, 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 shock or whatever. Like, I'm not into it. Yeah. Uh, especially living in San Francisco, I've developed sort of right. an allergy to like <laughs> sanctimonious, and I've been sure. to Burning Man, but like sanctimonious burner types who yeah. like want to lecture me about chakras. I'm just like, honestly, please, I can't handle another minute of this. So I've had this aversion to meditation, but when it's very sort of uh, non dogmatic. Yeah where it's just like, look, you're not trying to control anything. You're not trying to think of a candle flame. Like, just observe your thoughts and be okay with them. Yeah. And sit with good posture for this period of time. That's yeah. it. And even if you think it's a shitty job and you're, like, running through your to-do list or thinking of the stock market, that's okay. Just make it part of your routine. Yeah. And what I found was, uh, and some people who, well-known people who do TM, I mean, it's like Paul McCartney, Ariana Huffington. David um, Lynch. David Lynch. I'm blanking on his name uh, for some reason, but Bridgewater Capital, largest hedge fund in, if not the world, the United States. Hundred mil- Russell 100, Simmons. Hundred billion plus. Ray Dalio. That's it. Russell Simmons. So the the, the list is, is the, I think, like Howard Stern. I mean, it's yeah, like, the list it's is pretty crazy. amazing. Yeah, it's, Seinfeld. It's, yeah, and the 
the the physiological or psychological effects are so fascinating, like you said, because you'll do it for a couple days and you're like, man, like yeah, okay, whatever, and then you hit this, like <laughs> you hit this sort of inflection point where suddenly you you just drop from like 200 RPMs to 150, and you're like, yep. whoa, okay, this is different. And then yeah. the whole week you're kind of zenned out. Yep. And then after say a four week period, and I did my first retreat uh, a few months ago before I, I volunteered for the masochism that is television production. Uh, I can just hit you with a stick for you can, a couple yeah, weeks. Yeah, if, if you, you could just like, yeah, if you could put a nail through it first, uh, that'd be sure. great. Uh, but uh, really had this tremendous effect on me um, that oddly enough, and maybe this is getting too out there for some people, but very similar to my experiences uh, post relatively high dose hallucinogens. Yeah. This like extended period of Calm, grace, and or, ease, yeah. ease yeah. in decision making. Yep, like uncluttered. Like yeah. you closed every browser on your computer and turned off the antivirus and rebooted the whole thing. Yeah, that type of feeling. Yep. Uh, so I've I did fall off the train. Question for you because I find the the morning session I usually find pretty easy. Yep. Afternoon is Afternoon. hard. Afternoon. I'm what right now do do? thinking of okay, I got to go from here to the thing to the thing, and when when I get my thing in, like yeah. oh shit. Yeah. yeah sometimes so. I'll try to do it in a car. Yeah. Like Uber or bad. whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, but do you, when do you typically do it in the afternoon? Curious. I try and do it before dinner sometime. Okay. Between, right. between work and dinner. Yeah. Uh, we're entrepreneurs. We work. It's tough. Crazy yeah. long hours. Um, so I'll take it whenever I can get it. Uh, and it's usually a little bit more, a little bit less gracious than my morning one. Like yeah. you said, it's sort of like morning is like, it's your time. You carry about 20 minutes. So my afternoon one is often a little bit more piecemeal. But again, it's the act. I try not to judge the practice. The practice is the practice. Yeah. So. Are you, uh, when you meditate, are you sitting cross-legged? Are you sitting with your feet? I try and sit floor? in a comfortable chair, flat on the floor, hands on my lap. Yeah. Okay. And yeah. there's a mantra that if you, you know, learn sort of TM, you're given a mantra and say that word over yeah. and over. And if some thoughts come in, they're like, oh, there's those thoughts. Bye. And they go away, and you just keep doing it over again. And then sometimes, like, oh my god, that was twenty-five minutes. Yeah. And sometimes it's like, oh my god, that was one minute. It felt like a week, <laughs> like a week. And again, but just not not yeah. judging that. And it's without you know continuing to talk about it because now it's getting weird because we're yeah. talking about it so much. Yeah. <laughs> but it's just a power. It's a powerful tool that is so simple. I'm just mind melting while you're yeah, talking. It's right great. Now. I'm, you're meditating. You're yeah. staring up. At I've been listening to you for, for the 20, listening people. Twenty minutes. There, I've not. Been Tim listening. is staring into space right now. He's not paying attention to us. <laughs> okay, so let's let's. Um, that is, a, I think, a huge takeaway for people. It doesn't have to be TM. It could be Vipassana. It could be just anything. Sure. Building in a pause, yeah. which is like a warm bath for your brain, even if it's ten minutes a day so that you're not in a reactive mode. It's really a game changer. Uh, and physiologically, it had a lot of effects for me as well. Oh, yeah. So like when my cortisol level dropped, I was able to lose body fat more easily in my abdomen, for instance. Mm-hmm. Uh, really, I became very sensitive to alcohol and caffeine, so I dropped it, but they dropped them both significantly, not because I was yeah. getting judgmental about it, because I was oversensitized to it. Yeah. I'd grown immune to the effects, so I could have like six cups of coffee a day, and be like, eh. Mm-hmm. And then did, did uh, met, TM for four or five weeks, and it was like I had one cup, and I'm like, wow, wow. I didn't realize what my baseline was. Yep. Uh, so, so just maybe to, to make you a cheap date too. By the way, I've always been a cheap date. <laughs> so uh, for 
for those people who might be wondering, well, Chase, you know, you started back in this period when uh, YouTube wasn't even YouTube, and you had this opportunity to be the first to be transparent, and I could never do that because now it's too crowded, and now the world is different. If you were starting now, starting over, knowing what you know now, as a photographer, we'll just use that as an example. Sure. How would you think about going about it? I mean, what would you, what would your process look like? I would go like? straight to, I think, when, again, assuming you get good at your craft and you yeah. get good at your craft through imitation and practice and, and hacking the system, taking it from 10,000 hours down to four or whatever yeah. the system is, but let's just take it for granted that you're good at your craft. In the process of developing skills at the craft, I feel like the answers are actually in here. Yeah. And as what it is that we're all trying to do as entrepreneurs and our artists, I think, not all of us, I don't want to speak for everyone, but I think there's a one of the differentiating characteristics, the zig instead of the zag, the the how do you stand out in a loud, noisy world, yeah. is the answers are in here and yeah. trying to take pictures that no one else in the world can take and trying to make make things that no one else in the world can make because yeah. you're the product of this of a unique sort of life and trajectory. Yeah. I've said it earlier in the podcast that everything is sort of a remix, but what is your version of the remix? And so say uh, I have relationship with a bunch of celebrities so I might be able yeah. to get a photograph of them in a way that no one else could because they yeah. were on my couch playing PlayStation or something yeah. in a way that you're not going to see that person. Yeah. So that's a terrible example. I've got a lot of terrible examples <laughs> in this year, but the point is like try, <laughs> thinking about like what is what what's the unique mojo that I bring and how can I try and amplify that? Amplify your strengths rather than sort of fix your weaknesses outsource. Yeah. outsource or you could take I mean just the, something came to mind is take if you're not perhaps the best person at capturing capturing something visually, but you're a good storyteller, you have your visual art, and then you're an, you have an incredible narrative to go with it. Absolutely. And when I go into art galleries, uh, and this is not my particular, I don't have the budget for it, but it's also I'm, I'm more of a classical type guy. But if you walk into say the Gagosian Galleries in New York, and you'll incredible. see stuff on the wall, ten million dollars, you can't figure out what it is, but you read the the plaque next to it, and you're like, that's a damn good story. And yeah, like, it's a beautiful. I see how. They are selling yep. these things. The narrative plays yeah. in, and also that, well, that you ha- that there is a narrative, and that it's a compelling one. I think those both those things are, are true for anything that you're sort of positioning or selling or creating. I want to know the backstory. Um, I feel that that is that's sort of um, it's an underappreciated art to be able to tell a good story to be yep. like, and that's a. Another weird background thing on me is I, I was in a PhD program in philosophy of art. Hmm. So I learned how to talk really critically about art. Yeah. And then you think of the learned skill of being able to talk about why I shot it like this. And, and people, that's, that, that is a part of their experience when they have hired me as an artist in the past. So yeah. there's a value add there that being able to, to tell a story and talk about what it is that you're making is valuable. So... Rewind a little bit to go back. What would you do? I would focus on doing things that I know that I'm passionate about, that I, I can do differently or better or more uniquely based on what's in here, not necessarily what's out there. Yeah. Got to learn from out here and imitate and hack and steal and all those things that we do. But then as soon as you can, start applying it to very personal sort of vulnerability. Um, yeah. Brene Brown is going to be on my show not too, uh, on April 9th. 
um, daring greatly. We're dropping a lot of good books now. Yeah. Um, and I remembered Mark Echo's book is How to Sell You Without Selling Out. Mm-hmm. Sell Yourself Without Selling yeah. Out. These are other good titles. Uh, but sort of vulnerability, what, what yeah. is a, a place that you can come from that when you're vulnerable, you're actually showing strength? Yeah, I remember, I think it was Neil Gaiman, one of my favorite writers, or maybe someone else, but it's like when you're, when you're writing and you start to feel really uncomfortable, that's when you know you're starting to get it right. Yep. And I'd imagine that applies to photography, Absolutely. applies yeah. to everything. And I feel it, I feel it with Creative Live. The stakes yeah. start getting high, and you're like, wow, this is, this yeah. is gonna be a big deal. That means you're sort of, now, now you're like poking some hot spots, so. Awesome. Uh, I think that's, a, that's a, uh, an important takeaway. Uh, no, there are probably others. That's solid, man. No, I'd say uh, we'll have everything in the show notes for people to check okay. out. Obviously, creativelive.com. And um, maybe we can just close on one of my favorite quotes. It's actually also a commencement speech that everybody should check out by Neil Gaiman. Neil, I was going to reference it earlier. Make okay. good art. Make good art. Cat exploded. Make good art. <laughs> Got divorced. Wife ran away with the pool boy. Make good art. Make good art. That is the bedrock. That is. And you don't want to end the podcast quite yet because you said you were going to come back to a horrifying story that I had experienced. Oh my God, you're totally right. I'm glad you saved me from that embarrassing call out. You asked me to save you in your text to me. I said, what do I need to do for prep? You said, nothing. Just save me if I need saving. I said, be your charming and unshaven self. And (laughs) and secondly, if I fuck up the conversation, you need to save it. So thank you. No problem. Well done. Professional saver. Catastrophic self-inflicted injury. Yeah, let's hear it. Doesn't have to be catastrophic. Self-inflicted injuries. So I'm I'm sort of young. I don't remember quite the exact age. I'm at a wedding. Yeah. Okay. I'm just I'm my my um, what does it call them? An only child. So I'm just kind of cruising, you know, looking for some other. Maybe let's say I'm ten, looking for some other ten-year-old girl to dance with or something. Just cruising the wedding in my little tuxedo, <laughs> and there's this commotion over on the dance floor. I'm probably like like misering the cake or something. There's a commotion on the dance floor. I'm like, what's going on over there? And I see there's this group of brides, yeah. and then there's the, or sorry, a group of uh, women. Yeah, or women, yeah. And then there's the bride at the yeah. front, and she has this flowers, and she's doing this thing. She's like, she's going like, what? Dude, it's a yeah. gigantic wedding. And I'm, I'm in the wings. <laughs> see if you can follow me in here. And I'm like, oh, she's going to throw that flower. <laughs> and then I'm just... I come just faking around the corner on full speed sprint. Sure enough, she throws the flowers, flowers end over end, just see this in slow motion, just da 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 da. Full laid out swan dive, grab the flowers in front of 50 outstretched arms, pull it in, come sliding to a stop on the dance floor, hand in the air with the bouquet. Ah! Fucking silence. 250 people, like. And she had to do it again. Oh, nice. It was retake. so retake. That is amazing. It was so terrible. I think that's like the, the essence of Chase right there. Oh, that's right. <laughs> Record scratch. Oh. But there's so many. I had lots of embarrassing moments. I like that. I like being 10. Maybe I was 8. I don't know if that's too old to know. I guess I should have known what was going on, or I have no idea what age I was. But. No, you were just overflowing with. Amazing Pele-like soccer ability. I didn't know what to do with that at a wedding, I think. Uh, there you go. We'll, we'll have around two, man. We'll have more stories. Thank you. And thank you for coming on the show. Yeah, pleasure. Until I next will, time. I will pimp it. I'll share it far and wide as much as I can. Ciao. Bye, everybody. Ciao. Thanks for staying late. Arigato gozaimasu. Arigato gozaimasu.
you want more of the Tim Ferriss Show, you can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or go to 4hourblog.com. Where you'll find an award-winning blog, tons of audio and video interview stories with people like Warren Buffett and Mike Shinoda from Lincoln Park. The books, plus much, much more. Follow Tim on Twitter. It's twitter.com slash tferris. That's T-F-E-R-R-I-S-S. Or on Facebook at facebook.com slash Ferris. Until next time, thanks for listening. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of plan investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com.